As John mentioned and prayed, we remember with gratitude those who have served our country with faithfulness and some at the cost of their own lives. We remember this morning as well the victims of another shooting and those many, many, many thousands of people who have suffered in Chico and Paradise and in that area. A couple of people, several people have asked me this week, where is God in all of this? I've got a different message this morning prepared uh, in our series, but God is with those people. God is in the flames. As he was in the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as he was on the cross with Jesus, as he is with us in our suffering, as we talked about last Sunday, God is with us. He has not abandoned us, and he will not. He is with us in power and he is with us in love and he is determined to bring good out of bad. Such is the way of his, such is the way of his kingdom. Our call is to love people in the midst of all of this, to trust God, to be generous, to be kind, to exhibit what we talked about last week, compassion, to love as Jesus loved. There will be many opportunities for that in the coming days and weeks. One of the simplest things that we can do today is to give. Uh, there are ways we have not set up a channel yet through the church or have specific recommendations, but there are good ways to give through nonprofits, especially in Chico, through the Presbyterian Church in Chico, through our church office, uh, if you would like. Let's pray. Help us, God, here on earth. Bring your heaven, bring your glory, and bring your kingdom to our place and our space, to our world, to our hearts and our lives. We are aware of our desperate need, of the devastation and desperation at times of planet earth. Help us come near, reveal yourself, bring about good, bring about healing, bring about hope through your spirit. As we open your word together today, give us eyes to see hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true and faithful to your word that they be taken to heart. If my words deviate from your word or the spirit of your word in any way, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. The goal of Christianity is not to get people to church. The goal of Christianity is to get people to Jesus Christ. The goal of preaching is not to relay information. The goal of preaching is to pave the way for transformation in and through Jesus Christ. The goal of the series of messages of which we are now in week 10 is not to entertain or to educate, but to hopefully help us become more and more and more like our Rabbi, Savior, Lord, Jesus. 
These messages are intended, therefore, as a curriculum, as we have said, in Christ-likeness. I believe, we believe, that God desires and that God intends for people to live into the reality of God's kingdom, which is available to us and to all people now, today, through God's grace and through following Jesus' steps and by doing what Jesus said to do. To that end, we have before us this morning another part of Jesus' curriculum for his students, which on its surface may not seem particularly or at all appealing to us and certainly not to the world. One commentator calls it the area in which the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world, more than at any other place, more than in any other way. And yet today's topic is very much at the core of the way of Jesus. So buckle up, here we go, reading from the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, beginning uh, back at verse 32 to give us some context. Listen closely, this is the Word of God. They, Jesus and his disciples, were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, which was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself in the Gospel of Mark. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. As if they had not heard a word that Jesus had just spoken to them. But Jesus plays along. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, let us be second and third in command when you come to power. You really don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten, the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, of course, as we would. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, and Jesus' disciples, his students, his apprentices, seemed utterly clueless. This is the third time now in Mark's gospel that Jesus has told them what awaits him in Jerusalem, what will happen to him there at the end of their journey up the hill. But they couldn't hear it, or they wouldn't hear it, which ought to cause us to now perk up our ears and listen and to consider what we are not hearing in Jesus' message. 
What Jesus' followers were expecting and what Jesus' followers were wanting is not what they were going to get, was not what they were being offered, was not at all the plan. Though in so many ways, God's plan would end up being better than what they expected. The rabbi master Jesus said, I will be mocked and flogged and spit on and killed in Jerusalem. The apprentices of the rabbi, Master Jesus, said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. The reader says, huh? Have you ever felt like you were talking past someone? Like they were hearing you but not listening? Like their body was present, but their mind was somewhere else. If not physically, then at least engaged somewhere else. (laughs) Video games tend to do this to children and youth. The NFL can have this effect on men. Dancing with the stars can have this effect on women, at least in my household. But have you ever been the one through whom someone else was talking? Have you ever been the one who was hearing but not listening? If you are married, has your spouse ever informed you that he has asked you a question three times and has yet to even get an acknowledgement that you heard him or her? It's not a good situation. But even though it seemed like Jesus' disciples hadn't heard a word of what Jesus was saying, Jesus plays along anyway. What do you want me to do for you? And James and John replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, we'd like to have the positions of greatest power and prestige and prominence when you establish your kingdom, when you come into your power, when they crown you king, when they hand you a scepter, when you move into your palace, when you sit on your throne, vice president and secretary of state, that's it. Just those little things, that's all we're asking. Thank you very much. To which Jesus replied, In the ordinary and fallen world, people in positions of leadership and responsibility lord it over their underlings and exercise authority harshly over them. But Jesus replied, not so with you. Not so with you. This is not the way it is in the kingdom. This is not how it will be not in the kingdom of love that I have come to establish and of which I am king. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be, your, be first must be slave of all. In the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, the great would not be at the top, but instead would be at the bottom. Though that inversion has not always been evident in the church. We have known, we have seen, we have experienced a church and Christians where those who are at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, lorded over others, love the power, control, attention. We have seen, I have experienced, I have witnessed churches where people move into and seek positions of power for what it can do for them for connections in business, for admiration, 
for status to put on one's resume. And Jesus says, not so with you. Whatever you may have thought might be a benefit to you by following me and by apprenticing with me was simply in error. And with those words, Jesus flips on its head the way in the church things were to be from that day forward till now and forever. He flips on its head the way we are to understand power and greatness. And you can almost see Jesus handing at this moment the metaphorical keys to the kingdom to James and John and them sort of unsure if they really want to put out their hands and take those keys. Not the keys they expected. In the words of New Testament scholar James Edwards, at no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. In a decisive reversal of values, Jesus speaks of greatness in service rather than greatness of power, prestige, and authority. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. Edwards writes, at the time of Jesus Servant was a dirty word. We don't realize today that 2,000 years later, Jesus began a revolution in which servant and service and serving is no longer a dirty word like it was back then. A servant had fewer rights than a woman or a child. A servant was near the bottom of the near the bottom rung of the social ladder, the economic ladder, the educational ladder, the legal ladder, doing the dirty work in society, the work that no one else wanted, the work that belonged to those without pedigree or connections or education or money or rights or privilege or status or any of that. And if a person wants to be first, Jesus said, she must not just be servant but must be slave of all, with slaves being just a notch below servants at the very bottom of all of those things. And all of a sudden, following Jesus and being part of this happy band must not have sounded quite as appealing on the road to Jerusalem, or maybe not even today. But Jesus reaffirming that he would never invite someone into something into which he was not fully invested himself and or in which he was not fully immersed himself said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was his way. This was the way of the person in whose honor and whose name this grand building is built. These grand windows were fashioned. Son of man, son of God, highly esteemed rabbi, Jesus, who had healed and amazed and astonished many, understood himself as a servant, as one who came to serve. And certainly included in the idea of servant and serving must have been today what we call public service and military service and what the firefighters are doing 
right now around Paradise and Chico and what police officers and bus drivers and utility workers and others do. But it was also very much true that the work of a servant was by its very nature dirty, menial, humble, at the service of others, cleaning house, washing clothes, cleaning up after animals, washing people's feet, which as you know, is exactly what Jesus did to and for his disciples. On the night that he was betrayed, just before he was betrayed, knowing that he would be betrayed. And we can imagine how Jesus' serving must have unfolded, at least outwardly, visually. Jesus and his disciples had arranged to enjoy the Passover feast together in an upper room of some sort. They were there, the food was there, it was time to eat. The only thing left to be done was the practice or the ritual of them cleaning up before they ate, of washing their hands and their feet. But who would wash their feet? They would wash their own hands But it was the job of a servant, the servant of the house, to wash the guest's feet. But who would wash their feet? There was no servant present, so who would do that? And you can see Jesus' disciples probably looking around at each other and wondering who among them would do this? Who among them was the least? Who among them was the weakest? Who among them had the lowest status? Which of them would end up washing the other's feet? I remember as a child, my mom would put my sister and brother and me to work. When it was time to do the chores, we sometimes had a choice, got to choose which chores we would do. And we knew that the best way to get out of doing the least desirable chores was to claim or to busy ourselves quickly with the chores that we preferred, that each of us preferred. It's always, we know that, right? My wife and I laugh because in our house, when we announce that it's time to do chores, all of a sudden, all of the kids sort of disappear to other parts of the house. They get really busy with other things. They go into their bedrooms. They shut the doors. All of a sudden, they're on their homework. The place clears out. We have discovered that the quickest way to get our kids to do their homework is to say, it's time to do chores. And you can envision Jesus' 12 disciples in the upper room waiting for someone else to grab the basin and the towel. And then Jesus did. And in so doing, Jesus, the Word made flesh, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, through whom and for whom all things were created, put himself below all of the others in order that he might serve, bless, and love all people. We read in the Gospel of John, when Jesus had finished washing his disciples' feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. People used to dress up more than we do now on Sunday mornings to live out 
our faith in community. But what if living out our faith was less about putting on our Sunday best and more about putting on our work clothes, the clothes of a servant, or at least clothing our hearts with servanthood? We call this, a, this gathering on Sunday mornings a service. And so it may be understandable when sometimes we think it happens in order to serve us. But we have already been served by the Lord Jesus who made himself, his life, a ransom for many, for us. And now God calls us, gives us the joy and the privilege, the invitation to walk in his steps, to have a heart like his. And while washing another person's feet isn't common today and isn't really needed today as it was 2,000 years ago, there are other things that a person can do that would be consistent with Jesus' encouragement to follow his example, to do as he had done, like taking the lowliest job or chore. By volunteering to be the parent who changes the diaper, like scrubbing floors, like washing dishes, like taking out the trash, like doing the laundry, like unplugging, plunging the toilet. Right after college, a friend of mine from college entered a training program at his independent church. It was a training program to become a pastor. And the first phase or season of that training was plunging toilets. His first day on the job in the training in the internship, he was handed a plunger and said, welcome to the way of Jesus. And for the next three or six months, his job was custodian at that church, assistant to the custodian, servant of that custodian. And in some ways, it may have appeared that this was a sly way for the church's personnel team to get a little bit more out of their custodial budget. But on the other hand, was it not the perfect way to begin to train someone in the way of the foot washer Messiah? If a person was not ready to scrub the toilets then his heart was not yet ready to train for the way of Jesus. He did not yet understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Of course, we don't have to be physically able to plunge toilets or scrub floors or lift heavy burdens or get down on our knees in order to take seriously Jesus' teaching and Jesus' way. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, the book we know as Philippians, which is often called the book of joy, says in chapter 2 that your attitude should be the same as. Your attitude should be the same as. Different translations say, have this mind within you or have this mindset. And then Paul goes on to quote in verses 5 through 11 what scholars believe was an early Christian hymn that functioned as an early statement of faith in the very earliest church. These are the things we believe in really practical terms. This is what we believe. This is our song. And Paul says your attitude, your heart, your mind should be the same as that of Jesus. And then he goes on to quote or to sing that song 
who though he was in very nature God, did not consider God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Being made in human likeness, he took on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this attitude in you. Both scary and at the same time liberating. Both frightening and at the same time a source of joy that is available to all of us. On the cover of your bulletin are some of the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have have a college degree. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. To such and into such a kingdom, Jesus invites us. And though we may not want to get dirt under our fingernails, though we are still a little weary and wary of embracing this kneeling, foot-washing way of Jesus. We will find if we trust him and if we go that way that there is the promised joy at the end. Albert Schweitzer, great theologian, philosopher, benefactor, wrote these words also on the cover of your bulletin. I don't know what your destiny will be, But one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Jesus said back in chapter 13 of John's gospel, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things about serving, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. And Schweitzer says. (laughs) Next Sunday, Sharon will be uh, on the platform. And Alexa will be over here preaching, actually. I'm going to read one more time. And you're probably memorizing it now. These words of Henry Nouwen that uh, continue to strike me as relevant to this upside-down kingdom into which Jesus invited his followers. The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up. Make it to the top. Enter the limelight. Break the record. That's what draws attention, gets us on the front page of the newspaper, and offers us the rewards of money and fame. Our culture, cultural values up. Our culture values upward mobility, staying on a secure career path, maintaining the status quo, appearing to others as an interesting person, succeeding in business, politics, sports, academics, or even spiritual practice. The way of Jesus is radically different than the spirit of the world. It is the way of downward mobility. It is going to the end of the line, staying behind the sets and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom. It is the way Jesus took, and it is the way that brings life everlasting.
Let's pray. Make us, God, into a servant people. Make your church into a servant community. Help us to live in the joy of Jesus, in the way of Jesus. Teach us, mold us, shape us. We confess that we have not listened at times like James and John. We have pulled back, shied away at the countercultural life into which you've invited us. But give us courage to step, to follow, to go, to believe, to trust the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our teacher, our master, Jesus. Amen.